Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show where we never forget. We never forget that we've been lied to over and over and over. I'm Kevin Barrett, and hey, we've I've got great co-hosts. We got J Mike at the mic. We got E Mike at the mic. We got John and Cat and Lucy at the mic. And hey, this time it's J Mike. How you doing, J Mike? Uh, I'm fine. I'm happy to be I'm always delighted to help with the show here. All right. Well, I'm always delighted to have you. Uh, there's an endless supply of media nonsense to sort through every week, and I'm glad you can help us. So I just have to start out with our usual PSAs and disclaimers. So let's let's start disclaiming and uh, and PSAing. So where are those PSAs and disclaimers? We have to start talking about how we're not medical doctors, and so don't take uh, any of our medical advice if we were so silly as to dish any out. Uh, question everything, including our medical credentials. <laughs> and if you find this disturbing, be very disturbed. Okay. Done with that. Uh, let's let's move on. We've done those disclaimers a few times, I guess. Okay, here we are. 9-11 Truth Film Festival, the PSA. I'm going to be in Oakland, California on Thursday, September 9th at the Grand Lake Theater with Bonnie Faulkner, Ken Jenkins, and a bunch of films, including Pandemic Inoculation, 9-11 Decade of Deception, and uh, The Pushback, which is about the worldwide demonstration. And so that should be fun. Uh, so, hey, J. Mike, you're going to fly out to the Bay Area to catch that? Uh, regrettably, my pocketbook is not that deep. It has far too many lost and empty spaces in it. Well, but we're going to have to raise your paycheck then, I guess, here at False Flight Weekly News. And that t- reminds me, people, we do need your support. We're running on a shoestring. And if you doubled our budget, that would give us two shoestrings. We could tie both our shoes. We wouldn't stumble as much. And we could even maybe give J. Mike a huge pile of money to retire in luxury and fly out to the Bay Area anytime he wants. <laughs> Well, maybe. Anyway. And then the Bonnie Faulkner there is pretty heavy hitters. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be great to see all those folks. I, I love going to this particular event. I get to see Alan, our producer, and all these great people that I've gotten to know over the years. So that should be great, fun, and I hope everybody can make it if they're anywhere near the Bay Area. All right, let's get going with our taboo stories. We we are not broadcasting on YouTube right now because YouTube will slap us down if we say anything about vaccines, pandemics, viruses, or anything like that, that their artificial intelligence algorithms pick up as being somehow subversive. So here we are talking about vaccine nation. And this is our uh, our first story. Actually, I thought the first one was about Fauci and his claims, but this is actually maybe the best story of the week, I thought, in terms of being informative. It's Alex Berenson, the former New York Times journalist, um, going over the history of how the medical authorities and the mainstream media told us over and over m- several months ago that when we got up to 50, 60 percent vaxxed, we would have herd immunity. These vaccines would promote herd immunity because they would prevent transmission. Hasn't happened. They don't prevent transmission, at least not nearly as well as they would need to. So there's no herd immunity. So they've been lying to us, but they won't admit it. They just keep doubling down on the lies. I don't know if you had a chance to read this yet, uh, J. Mike, <laughs> but it's a great article. Yeah, I did. It's, it's a, it, it shows that they, they will distrust their own figures, distrust their own analysis, uh, and ignore reality. In Provincetown, Massachusetts, something like three-quarters of the people who came down with the virus had already been vaccinated. And somehow they can't explain that ex- except to say, oh, these people, they, they, they are super spreaders even though they've been vaccinated, but we don't know why. And the same thing's happening in Israel and the U.K., which were ahead of the U.S. in vaccinations. Uh, Gibraltar, which is basically 100% vaccinated, has a new outbreak. S- clearly these vaccines are not working. They're not as durable 
as had been hoped, and they're not preventing transmission nearly as well as had been hoped. Bottom line is if they were honest, they would just say, you know, if you're in a high-risk category, you probably would want to get this. It's a, it's a good bet. If you're in a low-risk category, it's a bad bet, and you're not doing your patriotic duty by promoting herd immunity by getting vaxxed. It, that's not happening. They need to admit that, but they won't. And if we say this on YouTube, of course, we will be nuked. Uh, good thing we're not on YouTube right now. So next story. Uh, there we are with Fauci. Uh, Fauci telling us that it's all the fault of the unvaxxed. This is the scapegoating syndrome where if things are going wrong, in this case, the vaccine is going wrong, it's not working as advertised, they need to find somebody to blame. So let's blame the people who aren't spending money on this vaccine and giving bigger profits to big pharma. And Fauci is all on board with that. Well, I've seen a a T-shirt advertised on the Internet that said, arrest Dr. Fauci. Wow. Well, that's a that's a provocative statement. Let's what's the crime we should arrest him for? Uh, Not being truthful and inventing imaginary diseases that he uh, paid for in China, uh, working along, claiming that if you're not vaccinated, you're killing everybody, including yourself. Um, You know, total uh, unscientific, total uh, un uh, medical advice. Uh, It's it's just amazing uh, that he talks and he talks and he talks. And people haven't done anything with him except fall, fall down and plant size in their front yard that say, thank you, Dr. Fauci. Well, you know, if bullshitting and being corrupt were <laughs> actually crimes, uh, we would not only have to prosecute Fauci, but pretty much the entire establishment and put them all in jail, which might not be such a bad idea. But actually, in, in defense of Fauci, let's admit that, you know, when he what he said was correct when he said, hey, you know, this whole thing is the fall of the unvaxxed and I can prove it because those guys at Fort Detrick that made COVID were unvaxxed. Right. <laughs> uh, OK, thanks, Tony. You, you know, because you were helping fund them, I guess. Anyway. Uh, this cartoon version of reality, this public myth that they're selling us, complete with scapegoating the unvaccinated, is getting more and more annoying and obnoxious. Um, and guess who's able to see through it? The PhDs. Uh, I thought this was a rare, uh, good article from, from what's his name, uh, that it, Paul Joseph Watson, the Islamophobic uh, jerk that I don't like very much. Uh, however, this particular story, as well as some others he does, was pretty good, uh, pointing out, that the meme turned out to be correct, that bell curve meme uh, with the, uh, you know, the, the, the lower side uh, being afraid of magnets, uh, <laughs> the upper side saying we don't trust the data, and then the folks in the middle all kind of saying jab me as quick as possible, turned out to be true. Research actually shows now that the most vaccine-hesitant segment of the population are people with PhDs. Well, I have a PhD as well as three MAs, uh, one in paranoia, one in conspiracy theories, and one in how to be a threat to public health. So, <laughs> so I guess I'm in good company here. How about you, J. Mike? Yeah, I mean, I, I have uh, three degrees, and the JD is equivalent, I guess, to a PhD. Uh, and I sure God don't trust the vaccine nor the people promoting it. Uh, and uh, I can't quite figure out how he arrives at the fact that people with master's degrees uh, are most accepting of, of this dangerous uh, drug that they've uh, got out there that hasn't been tested. Well, you can get a master's I, I, degree, but pretty much doing, doing what they tell you. You can you can jump through the hoops they set out for you and get a master's degree. But you have to actually be, you know, ha- have some serious uh, brain power usually to get a PhD. So that might partly explain it. <laughs> uh, I'm all the people with master's degrees are throwing eggs at me. And then <laughs> others are laughing at me because I actually have three master's degrees. That makes me triple uh, stupid, I guess. 
<laughs> oh well. Uh, and, but but the point being that the the public myth that we're being fed, which is that the Varix resistors are all a bunch of idiots, they're lowbrow, knuckle dragging, you know, drooling morons, is obviously not the case. It's not quite that simple. No, it's not. I mean, look at the Tuskegee. Uh... Uh, experiments done by the federal government back in the 40s uh, on uh, the effects of syphilis. And, uh, you know, they grabbed a bunch of uneducated people and uh, they've learned from their uh, uh, predecessors' mistakes and don't trust what the government's doing today, quite rightly. And for very good reason, obviously. Uh, so uh, so the next uh, next slide about vaccine paranoia is part of this onslaught of propaganda that is, is calling the anti-vaxxers uh, idiots, right-wing idiots in this case. Um, and it, it, it seems like this, this story couldn't stick with its point very well. Uh, it, it, for instance, this quote, when, when media outlets and the like declare something to be a lie or disinformation, the narrative among conspiracists is that no government entity or other powerful outlet would issue these denials unless they were afraid that there was some truth that they don't want you to know. Well, that comes after raising the issue of censorship. Now, there's a huge difference between the government entity and the powerful news outlets denying something versus censoring something. You know, they're welcome to deny and to put out their point of view all they want. But as soon as they start censoring people, that's when I start getting really suspicious. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. And this guy goes through his article and he turns it into an anti-Trump crusade, blaming Trump for everything. And, and Trump, of course, has been president for some eight months now. But it's it's Trump and the Trump supporters and their, their MAGA hats uh, that are... Uh, feeding all these uh, su supposed conspiracy theories, which means they don't question what the government is saying, uh, and they're responsible for everything that's bad in the country, including the uh, the virus. And, and the point of this comparison with Dr. Strangelove, that great anti-war film by Kubrick, um, is totally misplaced because the General Jack D. Ripper in the film, who was so worried about his precious bodily fluids, was, of course, a complete nut job. And I guess, you know, if they're going to call the QAnon people nut jobs, I guess that's been done. But the real villain in Dr. Strangelove is this kind of moronic groupthink that has allowed uh, whole nations to build up all of these nuclear weapons in such a way that the planet is pretty much doomed. And so the groupthink in the case of the COVID and the vaccines is obviously the people who are on board with the mainstream narrative. That's the group think that's leading us to disaster. But this article obviously doesn't see it that way. Uh, well, the next slide uh, is a man that bites dog story. Um, this was published in Newsweek and the headline, no, the unvaccinated aren't selfish or ignorant. Here's why I'm not vaxxed. Doesn't look like something that you would ever see in a mainstream article. Uh, making it that that proverbial uh, man bites dog uh, piece that um, I actually thought this was really good. And I have to give a few kudos to Newsweek for publishing it. For, you know, this is so out of step with everything else the mainstream is publishing that it's actually kind of refreshing. Well, I was amazed at that. And, and, and of course, uh, the guy goes through it line by line. It, it's not the deep, complicated John Stuart Mill type of uh, theoretical uh, political analysis. It's simple declarative sentences, short ones, uh, you know, 5, 10, 15 words saying, I'm not going to get vaxxed because bang, 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 bang. And it, it's it's quite remarkable, quite well done and uh, really tightly reasoned. 
It is. And, you know, it, it, it's also in line with what Berenson pointed out in that earlier story, that the only herd immunity is that we've heard that Pfizer, Moderna, and J&J are immune from lawsuits. <laughs> That's the herd immunity. Yeah. And so this article with the author questioning the uh, inconsistent policies and public responses that do as I say, not as I do stuff that reached a new level when Obama had his wild and crazy mask-free party uh, recently, uh, and the mandates, the censorship, uh, and, and the experts uh, who warn about adverse re- reactions to the vaccine are shot, just totally censored and muzzled. Um, so as the author says, why censor the as adverse effects? Why not publicize them so we can make informed decisions? Well, they don't want you to make informed decisions. These people are propagandists who want to push your emotional buttons and get you to behave the way they want you to behave for whatever reasons. And so it's, it's, this was actually the kind of thing that we would do here at False Flag Weekly News. You know, I never thought I would be ready to invite an author of a Newsweek article on the show, but, uh, this, this person, uh, what's, what's their name? It was a strange name, um, Kembrunner or something. Long. Anyway, that's yeah, yeah, a rare mainstream uh, writer who actually is questioning the conventional wisdom. So highly refreshing, uh, great article. Yeah, his bottom line is: I've made an informed decision. I've talked to my doctor. I've analyzed the data, and I've made my decision on my own. Uh, uh, and it's my body, and I will uh, take charge of my body and the government and the. Uh, Big Pharma will not. I think it's actually a her because uh, she says she's pregnant. Uh, unless oh. this is one of those hymns that get pregnant these days, it's, it's hard to tell what's going on with that. But <laughs> anyway, uh, he, she, it, whatever, uh, whoever the writer of this article is, uh, did a good job. Well, <laughs> let's move on to the military affairs here. Um, the Pentagon, uh, no, we're not at military affairs yet. We're at the next propaganda piece by Dr. Eric Topol, or at least quoting him, saying, that uh, now if you're not on board with the masking and the vaccine mandates and so on, you're a friend of the virus. He's calling the governor of Florida a friend of the virus. Well, geez, you know, I mean, my wife doesn't like some of my friends, but she never uses that kind of language. (laughs) But this is this intemperate, angry language, you know, yelling at on practically threatening violence to the unvaccinated is just getting out of hand. It's getting worse every single week with a few notable exceptions like that Newsweek story that we just mentioned. Um, So yeah, this is a, this is pretty, uh, pretty crazy and pretty disturbing. Um, So let's, let's get to that military section. Now the, uh, the Pentagon may be mandating vaccines for the military ASAP. It could happen anytime as soon as the FDA approves them. Uh, interesting that that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and that, uh, if, if, uh, our troops were to not take the jab as ordered, they would be punished under the Uniform Code of Military Justice for failure to obey an order. And this is going to happen as soon as mid-September. Uh, so Mike, do you think that we're going to see a rebellion in the military? I don't think so because the large part of the American military now is not conscripts or draftees. It's people who volunteered because they couldn't get a job elsewhere, and they're not going to give up uh, three hots in a cot uh, simply to um, uh, avoid getting the jab. I, I think that uh, it's ridiculous that you need the um, uh, the Secretary of War who holds his position in, in violation of uh, federal law uh, for not being out of uniform for five years. 
before taking before taking the job. Uh, he says he will order it as soon as the president uh, gives him the go ahead, uh, or until the FDA uh, approves the stuff, because he can't do this and subject people to the code of military justice uh, unless he has some support on that. And I, I think it's outrageous with all the Americans under arms all around the world uh, that they're going to stop everything and stop their wars against Afghanistan and Syria and Libya and elsewhere uh, simply just to um, uh, stick a needle in the soldiers' arms. And God knows what the result will be in a couple of months afterwards. Well, you know, I know some Gulf War veterans, uh, that's Gulf War One who wished that they had resisted the jabs that they were given before that war. They were given anthrax jabs, experimental anthrax vaccines, and various other vaccines designed to try to protect them against the biological weapons that they thought Saddam Hussein might use. And they ended up being the victims of biological warfare from their own government because huge numbers of them came home with Gulf War syndrome, many of them totally disabled, their lives utterly and completely ruined by the slew of vaccines they were given, perhaps in combination with some of the chemicals they were exposed to over there. So that's a pretty bad precedent, and let's hope and pray that it's not this bad and that the people getting these jabs aren't going to end up having to regret it that much. Um, thus far, it looks like Probably not, but we just don't know. These are experimental. We don't know what's going to happen with these uh, spike proteins that people's bodies are manufacturing, how that's going to affect people in the longer term, and including how it's going to affect your susceptibility to the ever-mutating uh, species uh, or subspecies of COVID. So it's all a big gamble. And uh, the, so, but we're all we get, you know, with very rare exceptions in the mainstream is one side of this story. Uh, of course, this article is totally pro vaccinate the troops, vaccinate everybody. And then the next story, we get the uh, be patriotic meme in the form of George Washington ordered the first mass vaccination. Well, actually, it was uh, it was very elation, uh, not inoculation or vaccination. It consisted of uh, taking pus or scabs from an existing smallpox patient and uh, infecting people with that, cutting their arm and sticking the pus or the scab from somebody else who, who is infected onto your arm. I can see why uh, some people might resist that, but apparently Washington got away with it and he won the war, so we should all be patriotic and go get jabbed. Or else no, get no. Pus, pus Edward Jenner in, in 1798 developed the smallpox vaccine after observing uh milkmaids getting cowpox and avoiding the the, uh, the horrors of a real full-blown smallpox infection. So I, I think uh, this is another bit of uh, propaganda that the mainstream media or maybe the lamestream media is cranking out uh, to say, oh, George Washington did it, so we should do everything George Washington did, including owning slaves. Right. They kind of blur the line between variolation and inoculation. And as you say, they don't mention the fact that the actual smallpox vaccine, which was based on cowpox, which is similar to smallpox, was invented after the time of the Revolutionary War by Jenner. So what, what was going on during the war was they were, they were taking pus and scabs and, uh, and cutting you and then sticking the pus and scab in, into your cut. Um, so I think I would have resisted that too, personally, but maybe that's just me. Anyway, <laughs> uh, more, more anti-vax propaganda here, or anti-anti-vax propaganda, I should say. Uh, Joseph Arthur, a celebrated singer-songwriter with famous fans, has had his life ruined for writing songs against vaccination, and such as one called Stop the Shot. And, and he's, he's sta standing up for the anti-vax movement 
if the clubs and venues force it, we'll take it to the streets, he says. So, uh, but the theme of the article is, oh, this poor guy, he had a great career going and he had critical praise and he had famous fans. And then he turned into an anti-vaxxer and now we all hate him, don't we? Yeah, I mean, they've cut his places where he can play to where he's, he's uh, giving concerts in people's houses. And um, uh, he, essentially, he's been penalized for uh, freedom of speech. And uh, he's uh, being penalized again by trying to take his money away. So he, he can't possibly speak out and can't possibly uh, uh, get a, an audience anywhere because uh, nobody will pay him. And he's going to be stuck on food stamps someplace. So that's a sad story and a cautionary tale. This could be you on the anti-vax drug, the anti-vax movement. Terrible things could happen to you. Your career could be ruined. You won't be able to go to the university. You won't be able to work in a job. Your life will be ruined if you don't get the shot. So just do it. That's pretty much the subtext here. And on the other side of the ledger, we have all the wonderful things that can happen to you if you do get the shot, such as avoiding double death. (laughs) Uh, I love this headline. The man killed by COVID was spared a worse condition because he was fully vaxxed, reassuring report says. So, you know, even if if what you thought was the worst happens and you you die of COVID, if you were vaxxed, at least you won't die as badly as if you hadn't been vaxxed. Well, that certainly reassures me. I can't wait to go line up for the jab. Uh, Absolutely not. And, of course, our good friend Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook insists that no one has ever died after being vaccinated. Zuckerberg said that? Like, if you say, if you mention that there have been deaths, you get censored now? Yes, yes. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, it's, if they really think this is going to convince us, I mean, they're, they're insulting us. They're gaslighting us. This is, <laughs> it's so counterproductive. It's almost like they really want us to go turn totally anti-vax in reaction to their BS. Uh, maybe that's what's going on. I mean, that, that would be a really extreme paranoid conspiracy theory, of course, but these days you just never know. Um, it's so, working. I, I know an African journalist who is dead set against the vaccine uh, because of its danger, and she's telling me now that because she's been restricted from travel, uh, she's thinking of, of getting the, the vaccine and uh, taking her chances in the future. Wow. Well, uh, let's, let's just hope it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really go south, but I think, I think we're broadcasting on YouTube here, so we shouldn't speculate mm. about anything terrible that could conceivably happen out of mass vaccinations or anything that, like that. Because we, for one thing, we don't really know. It's all a gamble and it's all unknown unknowns, as the late great creep Donald Rumsfeld would say. But anyway, we're on YouTube now, I believe. So let's go to the segment of the show in which we thoroughly avoid spreading anything that YouTube could consider medical misinformation. So let's start with another plug for the 9-11 Truth Film Festival, Thursday, September 9th at the Grand Lake Theater in Oakland, California. And uh, now let's move to our our 9-11 anniversary stories. Here's another kind of man bites dog thing almost, uh, a really good story with one huge flaw on one of my real heroes and one of America's great all-time heroes, in my opinion, Bob McElvain, who went to war with the bastards who murdered his son, Bobby. Uh, Bobby was blown up in the, in the twin towers by the people that did the controlled demolition. And Bob McElvain is a bulldog who won't let go of this case. He's a hero. And this article in the Atlantic describes his, life and the the travails he's gone through and that his family has gone through over this, but it leaves out the most important part, which is that Bob is right about what happened to Bobby. He is a hero, pure and simple. 
And those of us who actually study the, the issue of the controlled demolitions know that. But the author of this piece doesn't. How did she have time to do all this research on the McIlvain family and not do enough research, like 30 seconds with a couple of videos of Building 7 and Larry Silverstein, to know that Bob is right? It drives me crazy. Uh, how about you? Well, I, I read the article, and I've been on various panels with Bobby McIlvain, and he always cries, uh, even years later, it becomes almost incoherent, uh, and I, I can see that. Uh, but I think what the article did was focus on emotion and focus on uh, missing family members and, and things like this, and not focus on the reality behind it, that what what was it that caused the death? What caused the, uh, the family to uh, go to pieces? What caused the... Uh, uh, the, the former fiancé uh, to withhold documents and things like this. The whole point comes down to how do 210-story buildings collapse their own footprint and how does a 47-story reinforced building collapse with nothing hitting it? And I don't accept the fact it was the earthquake from the other two towers going down. Uh, you know, there's been no investigation of this uh, other than superficial uh, government-sponsored things put out by the Bureau of Standards. Uh, and uh, basically, uh, she misses the whole point and focuses on emotion and not on fact. Right. And and even I think the emotion is wrong because, you know, the emotion she's fostering is all these the sufferings of these poor people. And uh, and poor Bob McIlvain got misled into going down this path of conspiracy theories for 20 years. And of course, he couldn't be right about this. Um, and that gets it turns the whole emotional tenor of the piece in the wrong direction once you face the fact that bob is right about what happened to bobby you see that his going to war over this for 20 years has been an act of just total heroism and and that's the emotional uh dominant tone in in, in the symphony of the story of the McIlvain family and the story in the Atlantic just gets it gets it wrong and it's it's really sad that somebody would work so hard on, on a piece about the personal dimensions of, of this uh, heroic uh, 9-11 survivor and family member and then get the most important part wrong. But what do you expect from something in the neocon Atlantic, the <laughs> neocons and the neolibs and the, and the Zionists who will never admit 9-11 truth for obvious reasons, who run our media, are just not going to let the truth come out. And so we're going to get these profoundly flawed pieces over and over and over. But one one guy who's trying to push this conversation into the mainstream uh, is Ray McGinnis. He's a religious educator uh, from Canada who just put out a new book on the 9-11 family members discussed with the 9-11 Commission on the unanswered questions. And even those who are afraid or emotionally incapable of following Bob McIlvain down the path of total heroism are still disgusted and appalled with the 9-11 Commission's avoiding all of their important questions and so this book is a very good sort of entree for new people, you know, people who've never really questioned the official story and didn't know that virtually all the family members or a huge percentage of them are very, very upset and angry with the 9-11 Commission. Um, so uh, m moving on to more uh more more family member related 911 stories i just interviewed stephen rosenbaum on his new film the outsider uh and it describes how the 911 museum pissed off the family members uh with all sorts of stupid and insensitive moves but above all 
the stupidest and insensitive move that the 9-11 Museum made was when it decided to become an all-out sort of propaganda shrine and temple to the big lie. And this was not what the original creative director wanted. And so this film shows you just, you know, how the museum became this uh, horrific <laughs> scar on the face of New York and, and, uh, and disgrace to America that it is today. Well, it's such a, a blatant uh, form of censorship and goes against real uh, analytical and, and very clearly written articles and books by uh, Kevin Ryan and, and David Gray Griffin and so on about the actual situation and what it was used for. But, uh, of course, we have to have censorship, and you must be told. Uh, uh, so I, I think that uh, 1984 came uh, a little bit uh, late this year. Yeah, well, Stephen Rosenbaum, the filmmaker behind this, donated uh, the world's biggest collection of amateur videos taken on 9-11 to the museum because the, the then creative director of the museum, who had the world's biggest collection of photographs taken on 9-11, uh, was in a position, he thought, to create a, a good museum that would be asking questions about 9-11. So they donated all their material, biggest collection of photos, biggest collection of videos, uh, and then the museum put them under lock and key and forces you to sign a CIA type of agreement if you're going to re do any research by going into their archives and looking at these videos and uh, and these photographs taken on 9-11, you have to sign uh, uh, basically in blood saying that you'll let the 9-11 Museum totally control everything that you do with those. You can't write anything based on what you've seen unless they approve it. You can't publish anything. So there's something really wrong here. And Steven Rosenbaum knows it. And if you listen to this interview with him, you know, he's, he's trying to get this film into the mainstream. And he's a very mainstream guy, but uh, he knows full well the problems with uh, Building 7 and so many other aspects of the official story, as he admits in our interview. So I, I hope this film, like uh, the Ray McGinnis book, will start a conversation with people who are yet, not yet on board with 9-11 Truth. Inshallah. Inshallah. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> so moving on to, speaking of inshallah, uh, by this time next week, the uh, Taliban will have taken uh, Kabul, inshallah. <laughs> uh, by saying that, I guess I'm casting myself as uh, as a, an evil enemy of uh, of the glorious United States Empire. <laughs> but, uh, frankly, that's pretty much how I feel. I'm not a huge fan of the Taliban. But, you know, they're fighting to expel a war criminal aggressor from their country, just like I would if a war criminal aggressor nation invaded the United States. And so I have to say I'm quite uh, cheering for their success, despite the areas of my areas of disagreement with them. And so, yeah, Kabul, it, it, according to this article from Sputnik, it, it might fall within six to 12 months. But now it's looking like it might be more six to 12 days. So obviously, Kabul is Pashtun for Saigon. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got uh, our great, uh, esteemed, glorious leader, Buttnugget Biden, sending 3,000 more Imperial stormtroopers, according to the Washington Post, back to Afghanistan. <laughs> In addition to the unknown number of uh, soldiers they have there already, uh, plus the mercenaries, plus the CIA's paramilitary, of which we know almost nothing. Uh, so what have we got there except the makings for another disaster? You know, I, I don't think all those stormtroopers are going to hold Afghanistan. It's the graveyard of empires, and it's proven itself once again. Um, uh, the story just published today by uh, Pepe Escobar uh, begins that August 12th, 
2021. History will register it as the day the Taliban, nearly 20 years after 9-11 and the subsequent toppling of their reign by American bombing, struck the decisive blow against the central government in Kabul. In a coordinated blitzkrieg, the Taliban all but captured three crucial hubs, Razni and Kandahar in the center and Herat in the west. So I think that I think the writing is on the wall here. And if uh, Biden wants to throw good money and good blood after bad, uh, it's just going to go down in history as another catastrophic mistake. Not exactly right. They never realize that it's the Afghans country, not the Americans. That's right. That's uh, the stupidity in high places is just mind boggling. <laughs> and, and again, to think that this all comes out of the 9-11 false flag. And the, and the Taliban was perfectly willing to send bin Laden off for trial because they had, they hadn't seen a shred of evidence that he had anything to do with 9-11. And nobody ever has, in fact. And even the FBI now tells us that bin Laden had, have no evidence that bin Laden had anything to do with 9-11. But still, uh, the, uh, the nonsense and the public myth and the mass hysteria was enough to stampede the country into a disastrous war. It's cost us six, seven, eight trillion dollars, ruined our reputation. A total disaster anyway you look at it. And speaking of disasters, the COVID disaster is now taking the place of the 9-11 and 9-11 wars disaster as the uh, the disaster that may finish off the empire. And there's pushback even in the halls of Congress and the Senate. Here's Senator Rand Paul this week. Shout out to Rand Paul. I, uh, I, I love what he did this week. First, he got banned uh, from YouTube for uh, saying that masks or cloth masks don't work. And he's a doctor, so I think he has a right to an opinion on that question, whether or not he's right. Uh, they shouldn't censor him. That just makes it look like he might be right. And then in the next story, uh, this is his incredible barn-burning uh, speech. Uh, they can't arrest all of us. Um, he said, we will not show you a passport. We will not wear a mask. We will not be forced into random screenings, random testing, so you can continue your drunk-with-power reign over the Capitol. And uh, that's a pretty good speech coming out of a sitting U.S. senator. So I'm not a huge fan of everything Rand Paul does, but I thought this was a, a great speech. I loved it. You know, three and a half minutes or so, he goes bang, 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 right down the line about what's wrong with this thing. And, of course, you've got New York City uh, demanding vax papers before you can enter a restaurant. Uh, they're doing that here in Washington, D.C. with the Kennedy Center, the cultural venue here, uh, along with uh, the... Um, Ford's Theater, which is a combination theater and Lincoln Museum, and the Council of Governments are now talking in the Washington area, now talking about implementing New York-style vax paper demands uh, to enter any kind of uh, bar or restaurant or any kind of public facility. So I I think we're creating a separate and unequal facilities. And God knows there was an uproar in the 60s when they had separate but equal and felt that was discriminatory. Well, what about this, where you have separate but unequal uh, situations and and Paul is pounding on that and exposing it, and uh, he's uh, you know now the the target of the uh, the establishment. He's the new Rosa Parks. You know, won't go to the back of the bus. Well, uh, yeah. right on. Um, and so if Rand Paul's speech was the the greatest speech of the week. How about the greatest article of the week? Uh, it's just why I won't submit. Um, this, uh, this piece, and I can't even, I can't see the name of the author and it's, I've slipped my mind. This is somebody I, I don't know, but I'm going to start following. 
Uh, and I thought this was brilliant. Uh, it's it kind of, you know, a little bit like Rand Paul's, you know, it starts out, it's just bars. It's just restaurants. It's just theaters. It's just concerts. It's just dancing. It's just intramural sports. It's just choir. It's just non-essential medical services that you have to give up. It's just non-essential items that you're not allowed to buy. It's just not being allowed to exercise and, and on and on and on and on and on. Um, yeah, I, I, I found myself, uh, kind of standing up and cheering for this like I was for Rand Paul. Oh, it was wonderful. He, you know, he, he shows what they're doing. They're, they're doing it inch by inch and piece by piece. You take away something small that doesn't seem to matter. And then you take another way, another piece that's small, it doesn't seem to matter. And suddenly, you know, you're locked up in your own house. You can't go out to the theater. You can't go out to the movies. You can't go out to sit down in a restaurant. Uh, you know, you, you just submit to this paranoia and mass psychosis that's been very carefully created over the last year and a half or so. And, uh, uh, the guy lays it all out. He shows exactly why this is wrong think, exactly why it's censorship, exactly why it's treason, exactly why it's tyranny. And, uh, the people submit to it. You've got the characters wearing their muzzles in closed cars when they're only, they're the only person in the vehicle or wearing their muzzles on the street when they're only the only person on the block. So it's just absolute nonsense. And he shows it. And, uh, the, the lamestream media, keeps pushing this this propaganda that uh, would uh, choke a maggot on a gut wagon. So if the tyranny reaches a certain point, a lot of folks are going to start thinking about escaping. And so where do you run? Well, maybe Canada, because there's a wall at the other border, right? Well, almost. Anyway, if you try to run to Canada to escape the tyranny, you're going to find even worse tyranny. And if they catch you at the border trying to sneak into Canada with fake vaccination papers, They'll throw you in prison and hit you with a $750,000 fine, which means life in prison, because I don't think I could ever pay that off. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, this, this, is, uh, this is totally crazy. You know, so don't even think of forging any vaccination papers. That would be just as evil as if, like, uh, you know, a, a Jew had forged papers making them look like an Aryan in 1930s Germany, or if, if a, a, a uh, a person with a little bit of black blood had forged papers to make them look like they were white in the old South or in South Africa. Uh, that would be evil to, to forge papers uh, to try to escape apartheid or to try to escape tyranny. So just don't do it. Well, the uh, as the national anthem of the Great White North starts out, Oh, Canada. You'd think they, <laughs> oh, they had a lot more sense that farther north that they didn't have the uh, the American uh, uh, mass psychosis, but somehow it's, it seems to be catching and the borders don't stop it. Yeah, well, this particular mass psychosis is uh, seems like the the whole sort of neoliberal elite and countries controlled by the neoliberal elite are all totally falling for it, and. A lot of other countries, too. Now, we should, of course, admit that there really is a COVID problem. We're not COVID deniers who don't think there is such a virus and so on and so forth. Um, but still, the overreaction uh, and, and the irrational reactions to this in various countries are not really helping the cause of trying to contain the damage. And uh, in this slide we see over in Sydney, where they're re they've got a really serious lockdown over there in Australia, the uh, New South Wales Police Deputy Commissioner Mick Willing is yelling at people who, quote, are not are recklessly not abiding by the current health orders. Just this week, we saw a person travel out to Parkas without a reasonable excuse. Somebody actually went somewhere, 
somewhere without a reasonable excuse. Mm-hmm. My God, that's, that could destroy the country. So they're, they're extremely adamant about these restrictions in Australia. And then there's this big pushback as we saw the huge demonstration on the, uh, on the worldwide demonstration day a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so. Australia is, is, is a, a, co- a, a COVID hotspot. Really, it's more of a COVID lockdown and protest hotspot. Well, I can't see how they can get away with that because the Australians are essentially Americans with the bugs worked out and they're very resistant yeah. to governmental control. Uh, yet at the same time, uh, they have, their population is concentrated in a couple of main coastal cities, uh, and they control access, uh, by getting into the country, uh, by air. And somehow the, they have the virus that keeps spreading no matter what they do. Uh, it, it shows that there is a complete and utter breakdown in government and uh, ability to analyze, analyze a, uh, a real situation. Well, they've been arresting kangaroos for not having vaccine passports in their pocket. <laughs> I, I hear that. Kangaroos are hopping mad about that. Anyway, uh, let's move over to Iran. Uh, another exhibit of why there really is a COVID problem. Iran is totally independent of the neocon, neoliberal empire, and uh, they are seeing 500 deaths a day from COVID. So this is their fifth wave. They've got 100,000 total dead there, one of the hardest hit countries in the world proportionately. And interestingly enough, Iran is the one country in the world that has outright accused the United States of launching the COVID pandemic by way of a bio-war attack on China and Iran which I think is what happened. And Ron Unz has written great stuff supporting that thesis. So uh, I don't know if there's a connection there. Do you, do you think, Mike, that one of the reasons Iran might be so hard hit is that somebody is making an effort, extra effort to hit them? Yes, exactly. I mean, you can tailor uh, these uh, bio-warfare weapons uh, to whatever you want and however you want, uh, especially with uh, Fochi and his gain-of-function research with the, the National Institutes of Health in Wuhan, China's biowarfare lab. Uh, I know a former Soviet diplomat who follows international affairs and national security affairs fairly closely, and he is convinced and has told me that a number of times uh, that this whole virus campaign was created to destroy China and Iran, the two principal enemies of uh, Israel and the United States. Well, it sure looks that way. And anybody who wants to see the actual evidence supporting that thesis should read uh, Ron Unz's series. He's got it in ebook form right now over at the Unz Review, which is unz.com. And I just had him on my show last night, actually, discussing his rec- most recent installment about the history of American biowarfare. And it turns out that it's not just the marginal conspiracy theorists, but all sorts of totally mainstream, credible researchers and journalists have made it abundantly clear that the United States has been waging biological warfare, maybe not quite nonstop, but nearly so, uh, ever since we captured the fathers of biological warfare, Japanese, who'd been waging biowar against China during World War II, and uh, we waged a large-scale biowar against China and North Korea in the Korean War, since then have gone after uh, Cuba, possibly Russia, uh, and, uh, more recently in 2018 and 2019, uh, the chicken flu and the pig flu, uh, were hit, you know, sent to China. And then 2020, suddenly, uh, Wuhan gets this COVID outbreak. 
it's uh, highly suspicious to say the least. And you're right on the record saying, yeah, that's what happened. You've never seen this in the American or world media because, well, we're not going to listen to the Iranians when they say things like that. I guess. Oh, boy. So, so what are the real global threats? The real global threats are not Iran and nuclear weapons and, and uh, you know, Russia and Putin and, and the evil Chinese. But we've met the enemy and he is us. And this chart, I think, shows <laughs> shows why. You know, the U.S. has the biggest biological warfare program of any country, and we, we've seen in the past couple of years where that leads. And uh, look at that. We're spending more money on, on mass death and destruction than the next 10 militaries combined. And yet we can't even beat a bunch of ragtag rural hillbilly tribespeople over in Afghanistan. Maybe it's time to give up and start using that money for something useful uh, rather than starting global pandemics. Yeah, well, exactly right. I mean, this is not the first chart on this I've seen. It, it's it's out there. Uh, the numbers have been out for years. Uh, and uh, I, I think that uh, what it doesn't um, dawn on the American people, uh, and especially on our, our dear leader uh, with his uh, restart the economy with trillion-dollar spending, is that if you took half of the money that goes to the War Department and spend it on repairing uh, broken down sewage systems, uh, uh, uncomputerized traffic lights in major cities, and crumbling infrastructure such as uh, bridges and uh, highways, uh, you wouldn't have this problem. The country would be a lot better off and a lot more peaceful. Uh, and you still have plenty of money to um, attack places like Cuba and, and Venezuela and maybe even the Vatican. Well, the U.S. may be the most overall dangerous military threat on Earth, but our military may be only the second most insanely reckless military <laughs> on Earth. Uh, the most reckless one is Israel's, and the good news is that the New York Times is recognizing that there is a problem with Israel's nuclear weapons, and maybe we should at least admit that they have them and face the reality so we can address the problem. So the good news is that the New York Times has taken a step towards facing the issue. The bad news is they haven't taken the second step and admitted that um, Israel murdered John F. Kennedy in order to get that nuclear program. And if Americans knew that, maybe we would be a little more interested in shutting it down uh, in this article we learned that, quote, in the early 1960s, writes Avner Cohen in his book, The World's Worst Kept Secret, Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion repeatedly told John F. Kennedy that the reactor Israel was building in the desert town of Dimona was for peaceful purposes only. And then when the U.S. sent inspectors, the Israelis concocted an elaborate ruse. Well, yeah, that's all true. Kennedy was dead set against allowing Israel to get nukes. Ben-Gurion felt that Israel needed them. Uh, it was an existential issue. And I think that has quite a lot to do, if not everything, uh, with the murder of John F. Kennedy and then later his brother. Lauren Guyanot has made a terrific case to that effect in his books, most recently, The uh, was it, the Suppressed or The Hidden Kennedy Truth, I think it's called. Uh, and I, I'm not expecting the New York Times to come out and face that issue anytime soon. Well, I was amazed to read the article that actually appeared in the New York Times, given that the... Uh... Uh, the lamestream media has worked very hard to keep uh, Israeli nuclear weapons out of the news. I remember 40 years ago now, I guess it is, sitting in Stuttgart reading the American Herald Tribune, and there was a small box item about the telltale double flash of a thermonuclear weapon in the Indian Ocean off the South African coast. And it was a one-day wonder. It, it never appeared the second day. There was no follow-up. There was no explanation. 
So they knew it was a uh, Israeli work, Israeli uh, effort to work with the South Africans in making hydrogen bombs. And uh, that's just been ignored for 40 years now. And it's just astonishing how they work very hard at uh, letting the Israeli lie go forth and keeping truth and reality out of the narrative. So the, uh, the more than half of the world's military spending, uh, more than the next 10 powers combined, uh, that the U.S. is throwing around and doing all sorts of insane and reckless things with, and the Israeli nuclear program, which they uh, might very well do insane and reckless things with any time. They're currently uh, saber-rattling against Iran, and there's that tanker war that could go uh, go hot and even go nuclear. They've got their nuclear Dolphin-class submarine heading into the region. Uh, so, I mean, these are global threats. This is not just a regional threat. This could set off global thermonuclear war. So... We've got that global threat of the U.S. and Israeli militaries, but we also have other global threats uh, coming at us. How about the climate crisis, uh, Gulf Stream shutting down? Uh, and this article in The Guardian says it must not be allowed to happen. Well, uh, good luck. How are we going to stop the Gulf Streams from shutting down? Uh, can we build some sort of a, a dam in the Atlantic? I don't think so. Uh, so the advice we're being given by The Guardian is we need to stop emitting carbon because we don't know what CO2 level would trigger a Gulf Stream collapse. So the only thing we can do is to keep emissions as low as possible. Well, uh, that's really flying pretty blind, um, though it, it may, is it, do you think that's a good argument or not, Mike? Well, I, I think that it's something to be concerned about. If you shut down the Gulf Stream in any way, shape or form, uh, Europe is going to turn into an icebox. Uh, in Germany, they grow grapes as far as north as, I don't know whether it's now Newfoundland or Labrador, and only because of the Gulf Stream. Uh, you know, you, you'll turn, uh, you'll start a new ice age in Europe if, if something happens to the Gulf Stream. Well, it'd be great for cross-country skiing there, I guess. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, that yeah, there's all sorts of uh, bad stuff that would happen if the Gulf Stream shuts down. So let's hope it doesn't. And our next climate threat story is this is uh, these are both provided by Ellen, our producer, by the way. Uh, thank you, Ellen. Um, this is a NASA interactive map on rising sea levels. So if you're afraid of being washed away to sea by the rising sea levels, you can check your own coastal area and find out whether that's going to happen anytime soon or maybe a little later. I tried the interactive map, but I couldn't get it to work. Maybe it was, I was using the wrong browser. Uh, did, did you check this out, Mike? I did, and I couldn't get it to work either. I just had the one-page picture of uh, uh, the world and the uh, the coastal cities, and you know, click here for uh, your location or a particular location, and it didn't work. Uh, but I do know in D.C. they're they apparently are either spending money to spend money, or they fear the the city drowning underwater because they're building a dam along the mall. Um, to stop any kind of flooding from the downtown area of the city, which I've never seen in my life. And I was born here. Hmm. Well, uh, you know, if God decided to flush Washington, D.C., I'm not sure that would be such a bad thing. Exactly. Uh, so, but yeah, the, the, the rising sea levels issue, of course, is one of these things that gets debated. I've, I've looked at the, uh, you know, the material from what we might call the, uh, the climate change deniers. And some of it, uh, is definitely interesting and uh, worth checking out and food for thought. But this is one of those issues where, frankly, I haven't seen enough evidence to push me into that camp. I mean, I, I think the chances are greater uh, than not 
that this climate crisis is probably just about as real and urgent as we're being told. Um, and I think one of the reasons we can tell that is that the reasons why people would lie and exaggerate about this, the kind of self-interest reasons are spread out among uh, both sides. But I think there's actually probably even more money on the pro-fossil fuel side rather than on the other side. Uh, of course, there are people who are going to make money out of carbon credits and things like that. But overall, I don't think that that this is one of those issues where we're getting lied to because there's a, a groupthink bubble being driven by a, by a private interest group. But I know many of our viewers disagree with me, and so I'm willing to hear from them as well. Um, well one thing that I, I don't doubt is that uh, huge numbers of people survived the Holocaust uh, thanks to being raised by wolves. <laughs> Jersey Kaczynski famously wrote about that in his book, The Painted Bird. And there, there are innumerable tales of Holocaust survivors who were saved from the Nazis by wolves, uh, little children. Or in this case, this was the story of Misha Defansica. Determined to find her parents, she, she ran away during the Holocaust, walking east across Europe, living mostly in the forest, subsisting on bugs, avoiding Nazis in the Warsaw Ghetto, and even stabbing one to death in self-defense. Astonishingly, she gained the trust of a pack of wolves, living among them for months and sharing in their kills. <laughs> so uh, this story uh, has been, you know, one of these notorious uh, alleged Holocaust eyewitness stories that has made a lot of eyeballs roll over the years, and even more so when it was proven that she made it all up. Uh, how did, why did anybody ever believe this in the first place? Well, the Holocaust skeptics say, People believe anything you tell them about the Holocaust. Just like, you know, look at the gas chamber story. Whereas the other side says, well, uh, like the, the director of this new film about this affair, he says, we need to take this story back from the Holocaust deniers. Uh, the concept of truth is a slippery one. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if Holocaust denial is a problem, how about raised by wolves denial? <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, this sounded an awful lot like Sigala Pearl Mandelker the one-time Undersecretary of the Treasury for uh, Terrorism and Financial... She was Intelligence. definitely raised by wolves. Well, she kept talking in her hearings in the Senate Finance Committee about how her parents were living in the woods in Germany being hunted by the evil Nazis. So I, I wonder if she's related to this person. Uh, plus, you've got to look at Netflix, which is cranking out movies about uh, the poor downtrodden uh, uh, people uh, involved in the Holocaust industry. Uh, you've got, uh, one about Hungarians who survived the Nazis and, uh, uh, they, they've got another note. I can't remember what the title of it is now. Uh, but, um, uh, I find that Netflix is actually, uh, doing something that exposes the truth about the Holocaust industry. Well, that's a, another man bites dog situation, isn't it? Well, yeah. How about the, you know, here in Wisconsin? They just raised the limit on wolf hunting, uh, doubled the, the limit. And I, I think we should protest that because the, if it weren't for the noble wolves, uh, there wouldn't have been any Holocaust survivors. So <laughs> really should honor and protect the wolves. Uh, moving on to Poland. Uh, where's the next, uh, the Poland story here? Yeah. Uh, so media and, and Holocaust bills test Poland's ties with U.S. Israel. So Poland wants to pass a bill, uh, taking back, uh, local, that is, Polish national ownership of their media away from a certain international crime syndicate. And uh, they also uh, want to pass a law uh, putting a final term limit on this endless hemorrhage of Polish money that's being paid to the so-called Holocaust survivors that not the Polish, Polish Holocaust survivors. Poland was Holocausted in World War II. The nation was largely destroyed. Stalin 
not Hitler, murdered the virtually the entire Polish leadership class, the army officers, the political leaders, the nobility, uh, you know, the, the, the top, uh, most competent and capable people in Poland were systematically slaughtered in a Holocaust of that nation designed to put an end to the nation by Stalin. And yet, Ever since World War II, the Holocausted Poles have been forced to pay uh, what little money they have to the extremely rich Zionists over in Israel so Israel can buy Dolphin-class nuclear submarines and threaten to blow up the world. And Poland is tired of this. They're tired of having their media owned by the, those same people. Tired. <laughs> I, I don't blame them. I mean, I, I say go Poland. But, of course, Yahoo News and the other big mainstream global news outlets that are all owned by the same tribe that Poland wants to take yeah. the media back from doesn't agree. Well, all you have to do is look at the United States. What happened to RT? They used to broadcast. Uh, Al Jazeera used to broadcast before they went over to the um, uh, the NATO uh, mouthpiece line. Uh, Press TV's uh, uh, websites in the United States have con- continuously been shut down. And uh, they're shutting down uh, even uh, sites that have no ties to Iran, but are seen to be uh, having ties to Iran by the... Uh, the, the, the tribal creatures uh, from the Levant. Uh, look what's happened to the American Herald Tribune. That's been shut down twice, uh, even though the second time it was operating out of Canada. So uh, you, you sort of wonder uh, why are they criticizing Poland when they need to criticize the United States? Well, you know, it's one thing to, uh, you know, to have foreign outlets have free access, you know, to the Internet and to be available on satellite and stuff. It's another thing to have your nation's media totally run or the you know, biggest media outlets run by foreigners. And that's the situation that Poland uh, is is unhappy with. And I don't blame them. And, and here in the United States, I think we also need to bust up our media cartels and have our media owned by people a lot more representative of a cross section of the American people, too. So I think we should be following Poland uh, on this. Um, but I mean, that's, that's been a, a, a true mega heist, the way that the Holocaust industry has stolen so much money from so many countries and they, they never want to stop. Uh, and speaking of mega heists, our last two stories tonight or today are mega heist stories. One is a $600 million uh, swindle from Poly Network, a crypto platform. $600 million, that's nothing compared to what the Holocaust industry has swindled the world out of, as Norman Finkelstein's book, The Holocaust mm-hmm. Industry, tells us. But it's still uh, it's pretty good chump change. I mean, if we raise that for a week or two of broadcast on False Flag Weekly News, I wouldn't complain. Hey, it'd be enough for pizza and beer for a while. That's for sure. Uh, well, hey, wait a minute. We we, we Muslims don't uh, drink beer before <laughs> we broadcast on False Flag Weekly News. Uh, Not alcohol. Or any other time. Uh, but so the crypto uh, currency solution has its problems. If there's no oversight, no no bank and government oversight for your currency network, then uh, there's a downside to that, which is that the the government can send its uh, its black hat operators to steal all your money, and you don't even have a court to complain in. I guess so. Anyway, it's uh, I'm I'm kind of glad that I'm not heavily invested in crypto or anything else for that matter. It's actually nice nice to not have a whole lot of money to have to worry about. Uh, so, okay, final story of, of the week is Facebook's prayer app. Facebook <laughs> rolls out a prayer app, and you say, wait a minute, a prayer app, how does that work? Okay, so you, you, you go on the prayer app, and you, you do your prayer, and then God gets the message on his Facebook account. So why is Facebook doing this? Well, their whole business model is about spying on people and stealing their data. So obviously, 
Zuckerberg is going to spy on God and steal his data and make a killing at it. And so, hey, what can you say? Chutzpah, thy name is Zuckerberg. Yes. <laughs> Amen, right? <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, this is actually satire, folks, if you hadn't figured that out. But it's barely uh, because that really is Facebook's uh, business model. Yeah. I think I think well, you did a great job on this. I, I, I laughed and I laughed and I laughed as I read it. Well, thanks. Yeah. Well, Zuckerberg is, is putting forward a, a pretty credible candidacy for the office of Antichrist. Uh, <laughs> and and now, now that, that Kushner and Netanyahu are out of the way, I think he has clear sailing to prevail in the, the next election for, for Antichrist. <laughs> so shout out to Zuckerberg and uh, shout out to all of our loyal listeners and viewers. So, hey, thank you. Uh, J. Mike Springman, it's always fun doing the show with you. I enjoyed it. It's great. It's it's fantastic. And uh, we could probably done a whole show just on one of the uh, the COVID stories. Yeah. And uh, if we broadcast on YouTube, that would be the last false flag we could we'd ever get on YouTube. All right. Well, thanks, folks, for helping us keep beating the censors by donating to our fundraisers that have been going just fine for the last few weeks. And hopefully this week, too. And thanks to Ellen, our producer. And God willing, see you all next week. Inshallah. Inshallah.